Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Scram, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and it's that time of the year again when performers, promoters and tourists from all over the world flock to Edinburgh to become part of the biggest arts festival in the world. Where there's art, there's food and drink, and on this episode I look at some of the food and drink shows you can go along to at this year's festival. I spent a full day at the festival this week and can tell you that alone is not for the faint-hearted, but what I discovered was lots of great entertainment, education and enlightenment to be had along the way. Oh, and some pretty good food and drinks as well. I started my day at the ever-popular Pleasance Courtyard, where I went along to see the big bite-sized breakfast show. I saw five short plays and enjoyed a really delicious breakfast to boot. In the first show, everyone got about a quarter of a croissant and a strawberry because the ticket price was about six quid, but it caught on really quickly. Next up, I headed away from the city centre, which isn't to be underrated considering how busy it is at this time of year. We joined Nell Nelson from Edinburgh Food Safari on her Leith Food and Drink walking tour, where we heard fascinating stories of this characterful neighbourhood and enjoyed a wide variety of tasty dishes from some of the most popular eateries in the area. Because um, there was different kind of business here and shipping, they had the pubs opened a lot later. They had different licensing laws to Edinburgh. And then obviously there has to be a bounder somewhere. So halfway up Leith Walk, there is a pill rig, there is a boundary, and this bar used to be called the Boundary Bar. So they'd ring the bell at whatever, 10 o'clock in Edinburgh, and then they'd all pile round to Leith and carry on drinking. <laughs> As evening drew in, it was time for something a little different. I headed along to the underbelly at Bristol Square where I joined the Thinking Drinkers pub quiz. Their 15th year at the Fringe, drinks experts Tom Santam and Ben McFarland have crafted a clever show that educates the audience and plies them with alcohol and entertainment for one hour. So we find that if you just have a tasting where you just talk about what the drink is, people don't engage. But if you tell them about the stories of the people and the past and the places around it, a lot of that, there's, there's comedy material there, but also there's some fascinating facts and it just makes those drinks come to life. My final stop in Edinburgh was to see food. If you read the promotional notes on food, it says, food is an intimate dinner party of smell, taste and touch. The audience gathers around a dining table with sounds, scents and textures shaping a conversation about personal memories, consumption and the evolution of food production over generations. But somehow, that doesn't really do it justice. I caught up with absurdist theatre maker Jeff Sobel about this immersive performance which offers a meditation on how and why we eat. Certainly there's a, a thing about food with about ritual and about sitting around the table and breaking bread together. That's sort of the first and foremost thing of this thing we do as, with, as people where we build ritual around food, whether that's around a breakfast table or a fine dining. At the start of my festival day out, I spoke to Nick Bryce, founder of the Bite Size Breakfast Show, as well as director Tom Lyndon McCarran and producer and actor Rosie Edwards. 
Okay, so we have just come from the big bite-sized breakfast show and I'm joined by Nick. So you've been, you guys have been coming here for 15 years, so can you tell us how it all developed and what those years have been like? Yeah, well, we in Brighton found that short plays, 10-minute plays, can, when they're put together, make a really good show. And we came up to Edinburgh our first year and the only slot that we could get was 10.30 in the morning. So we had this idea of making it a breakfast experience. And in the first show, everyone got about a quarter of a croissant and a strawberry because the ticket price was about six quid. But it caught on really quickly and we came back year after year. And each year the audience has grown 30, 40% till now we're in a 300-seater serving quite a large breakfast and you get a whole croissant this time and a very nice strawberry and a lovely cup of coffee as well. And it was really good tea and coffee, we're saying that, a really good breakfast. So the breakfast element has been from the start and do you, do you find that is quite a big draw for people obviously? Well it's part of the whole idea of the short play because typically in this country short plays are seen as scratch plays with their written to create a bigger play, but we found if you put them together in a nice mixture, it makes a, a meal in itself. So it's a bit like a tasting menu of theatre. So we thought, you know, the theme is food. We've got a breakfast show. The strawberry became our sort of emblem. And uh, we, we, we create what we call sort of tapas of theatre rather than a three course meal. Have you found anything different about this year from people that have come before? Well, each year I think we get better and better and we've got a fantastic team directed and, and produced by Tom McCarran this year, who's a terrific talent. And I think, generally speaking, the standard gets better and better and higher and higher and, and people always, with us, feel that each one, each show is, gets a little bit better. We've got people who've been coming 15 years who are usually at the, the front door on the first preview coming in and saying hello again. Dear, I just forgot I existed for a moment. I needed a reminder I was alive is all. It's likely to happen from time to time. Did the screaming help? Yes, in fact, my heart rate seems to have increased quite a deal. And can you tell us what your role is? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm the director of the show, but everyone pulls double duty on the Big Bite Size Breakfast Show, so I'm also in the box doing all the light and sounds as well. So we were sitting next to a lady who'd come to three of your performances this week. So could you just give us um, an insight into how it all works and the sort of challenges of it? Yeah, so we get submissions from all over the world, really, for plays to go on. And this year, actually, some of our own performers, uh, Rosie, uh, Tom Hartwell and Tom Wiltshire, have written plays that are in them as well. We get submissions, we read them, we make a shortlist that we ask the author's permission. So we don't have too many plays that are similar tone. We have a drama, we have a comedy. And then it's about timing the menus and making sure one's not an hour five, one's not 50 minutes. And so we do a lot of kind of organising around that. So it's a lot of uh, technical aspects, slotting things around, moving things, and just making sure we get everything right for our audience. Uh, we have children come to the show, and we also have followers that have been following us for 15 years as well, and longer, so yeah. And Tom, where do you like to eat and drink in Edinburgh when you're here for the Fringe? So for a drink, I quite like the Captain's Bar. And to eat, I love the Caravan Thai place, uh, just um, opposite the Pleasance Dome. final preview and our 15th run at the Edinburgh Fringe. You have just seen menu three, which means now we go back to menu one. So some of you may have already seen all of the plays. Some of you, first time, you've got more plays, more croissants, more strawberries, more coffee to consume. So come back 
Take a flyer, tell your friends, take your rubbish with you, and have a great fringe. Thank you very much. So Rosie, we've just seen the Bite Size Breakfast Show. Um, for anyone wanting to come along, could you just tell us what they can expect? You can expect to arrive to a very warm welcome from the cast, um, serving up coffee, croissants, a strawberry, tea. Um, so people come into our brand new venue, which we're very excited about. We've uh, gone up a size this year since 2019. We're in the Pleasance Beyond, which is very exciting. So there's a nice spacious area to get your breakfast, settle in, enjoy the coffee, enjoy the croissant, and then, then we kick off with five or six short plays. Uh, generally a mix from the sublime to the ridiculous, hopefully, and um, yeah, it's generally a good laugh with a few more poignant moments in there too. What are your dates and times? We are running until the end of the Fringe, and we are at the Pleasance Beyond at 10.20am every day. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. On to Leith now to take part in the Edinburgh Food Safari Food and Drink Walking Tour. Our first stop on the tour was William & Johnson's Coffee Roastery. Here is me pursuing the delicious confectionery they had on offer, followed by our tour guide, Nell Nelson. So we've got lovely, really, really nice looking sourdough pan au chocolat, sourdough croissants. They look quite glossy, um, quite big, but not too big. We've got a salted caramel banana bread, cardamom and white chocolate rye cookies. And it smells, it smells of really, really good coffee and I'm having a coffee and it is lovely. Um, quite strong, but really nice. So they make all the pastries on site and all sourdough. I love having my coffee with my pastries. So what you're looking at here, we're looking at, Leith's been a port in Edinburgh since the 12th century. So Leith is, that's the water of Leith, starts off in the hills in Balernut on the west side of Edinburgh and it flows 16 miles. So Edinburgh grew up on the water of Leith and it flows out, that's flowing out into the North Sea, the Firth of Forth, which then flows out into the North Sea. So it's been a hub of business and commerce for, oh, since 800 years, and there's a few remnants we can still see. I mean, over time, the buildings have changed a lot. We'll see them better. We're going to do a wee tour. We're going to end up coming around there. But just while we're sitting here, you can see some things that are, so the Dutch were great. They were traded a lot with Holland. And when they came over, they brought these red pan tiles, the roof tiles, over as ballast. Then they loaded them up with coal and timber from here and back again, they left those behind. That's why you see it's quite unusual to see these Dutch on tiles in Scotland. And looking over where else is my tower. There is, we're going to walk around there. There, you see that round tower. We'll see it better when we go on our walk. That's a round tower. That used to be a, a windmill for rapeseed. But then when we were fighting with Napoleon, it got turned into a lookout tower. The main thing is, the ships used to come up, up. This was built in 1810, this is the old customs house. The ships would sail up and they declared to the, the customs official and what they had in their boats. So there's a lot of trade was done here. Now, not so much, but Fourth Ports is just around the corner, so there still is lots of trade, and we'll see huge big ships outside. So there still is a working port, but not here. Especially now they've closed this, there used to be a swing bridge, and so there's another old picture this is from 1800s. That's a swing bridge. We're going to walk over it. It no longer swings, and it will never swing again because they built a huge big road with the trams are just beyond it. So this is all closed in. So it's just, and it's just constantly, this is constantly changing. And now we've got the trams, which the tram stops just that way, and so it's really easy to get them back again. So I set up Edinburgh Food Safari, it's the name of my business. I set it up eight years ago. So the idea is a food loving friend is taking around and showing their favourite parts. So I know Leith, I've got to know Leith a bit better, and I just think there's some fantastic little local suppliers. All the places we go to are just one-offs, and the people we meet will be really passionate about what they do. Like, they're passionate about their coffee, and they're passionate about the pastries. So all the places we go to are all run by the people who are passionate about it. So. 
there's a bar I don't know if you quite interested in going in a bar from down Leith Walk called the Brown Bar. It used to be called the Boundary Bar. So Leith existed in its own right, it had its own magistrates, it set its own um, rules and laws. So because um, it was different kind of business here and shipping, they had the pubs opened a lot later. So they had different licensing laws to Edinburgh. And then obviously there has to be a boundary somewhere. So halfway up Leith Walk, there is a pill rig, there is a boundary, and this bar used to be called the Boundary Bar. So they'd ring the bell at whatever, 10 o'clock in Edinburgh, and then they'd all pile round to Leith and carry on drinking. <laughs> but after the First World War, the government wanted, you know, councils all to come together. They, this is a whole kind of making, you know, not having little small pockets. So they said that Leith had to be part of Edinburgh. So they had a plebiscite to see, and Leith voted, no, we don't want to be part of Edinburgh. And Edinburgh went, no, no, you don't understand, you are. So I think last year, that was the anniversary, 100 years of Leith being part of Edinburgh. But no doubt there'll be some movement for Leith, independence for Leith. So, but it has very much, it is a different feel to Edinburgh and different kind of industries and different sort of businesses going on. Yeah, and I think it has it and it's got a little some mobility feels. So it's quite different to the rest of Edinburgh. So we've just had some Collins Gink at the Roseleaf Bar and it's served in like a vintage um, tea cup or coffee cup on a saucer which is quite cute. It's really creamy. Uh, lots of, well obviously it's cream, um, cream smoked haddock and leeks which is exactly what's in it but really nice smokiness from the fish, really creamy. It's exactly the right kind of portion. You would not want a massive dish of this, especially in August, because it's although it might not be boiling hot sunshine, it's still quite warm outside. But really nice. Thumbs up from me. I've also had some dips and some goat's cheese and a nice warm bread roll at Tapas um, just up the road, which is lovely. Nice, freshly, uh, well, fairly freshly baked um, white bread roll, which was still warm, with a beetroot dip, and a really, really nice, vibrant green herby pesto, and some lovely olive oil. And then quite a large round bit of goat's cheese, which had balsamic vinegar on the top. They'd almost been like caramelised, so it was like a nice mix of like salty cheese with quite a sweetness from the, uh, the balsamic vinegar. And it was the goat's cheese was quite light. Uh, they can sometimes be heavy, but this was really light, spreadable on the bread. We had a glass of sangria as well, which um, was lovely, really quite refreshing. Didn't taste alcoholic at all, which is obviously quite dangerous. And it was really nice, refreshing. I think they said it was made with um, red wine and brandy, which is new on me, but um, yeah, we uh, could happily drink a few of them and some lovely sunshine. Now, could you just tell us about how and why you started your business? Well, I love food and um, I suppose I like walking and I was really interested in history and food and also just being to find the sort of places you know, people, visitors come here, you want a food-loving friend to take you around. So I am your food-loving friend. So I deliberately chosen, I've got somewhere off the beaten path. Because even the Royal Mile's wonderful, but you can find the fun shop on your own, the whiskey shop, but what I want to do is take you places you might not find straight away. So here we are in Leith, which is my latest food tour. And we just basically go around the shore. And then even though I was born in Edinburgh, I grew up here, there's lots of history I didn't know. And so I've really enjoyed learning about it and I've taken courses on it. I keep finding new things and we find new buildings. So I just love taking people around. And there's nothing like sitting with the background here, they're all tucking into ginger beer, they've already had a sangria, some of them are on the wine, so I'll never get them, I'll never get them out of here. <laughs> so what has it been like during the fringe? Well the fringe has just started and the thing that 
sort of the fringes become a lot more concentrated in the old town. So I think it's quite nice to divert some of the, the tourist dollar away. And so, so the fringe, you know, does not many things. I mean, I know there's a few things going on, especially the theatre, but it's just quite nice to take people away from all the, you know, the roll, the mass of the Royal Miles. So it's, I think it's a nice atmosphere. And so what can people expect from your walking tours? So the booth, I've got two, one, I've got one in, in um, the Georgia Newtown and Stockbridge, that's more kind of full-on Scottish, with all the big numbers that haggis, smoked salmon, scones and cheese. And this one, the Leith one, is a bit more, it's just celebrating Leith and the shore. So we're here having common skink, which is a very traditional fish soup, smoked had cream and leeks and ginger beer, which they make here. We've just been to a Spanish restaurant, Tapa, and we've even got a Spaniard on the tour, so no pressure. And he's given a tick to our sangria. It's like his granny wouldn't put lemon in it, but everyone has a different version, so be very nice about it. And we just had coffee at Williams Johnson. They are local coffee roasters. It's quite special coffee, special roasted. They make their own sourdough pastries. So all the places I choose are all small individual suppliers. We're going to go to Mimi's, who's one best scone baker of 2023, pajama, cream, and these etiquette tea. So it's all quite, I hopefully, kind of special and they'll have a really nice experience and then hopefully they'll come back and bring their friends. You obviously know the eateries of Edinburgh really well, so where do you like to eat and drink? During the festival? Yeah. I mean, you, turn it, turn it back to you, you probably know there's so many little pop-ups, aren't there? Which is just brilliant that we don't normally see, so even as someone who lives in Edinburgh, it's just really exciting being at Warrior. There's one in, there's in George, George Square, there's one, there's in Leith, there's Foodies. Everywhere you go, someone's got a little heart. I should have a heart. So, you know, it's just so, I think in all the festival areas, you know, you, you can't, you're spoiled. Just follow the queue, isn't there? So there's loads of places, which is great. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, my pleasure. <laughs>so we're outside the Roseleaf Bar but it's not always been called the Roseleaf Bar it used to be called the Black Swan because in the 18th century they discovered a black swan in Australia so it's a very rare thing so they thought the cunning plan will call our bar in Leith the Black Swan and it'll bring lots of people come because it's quite unusual so as you look up we'll see a swan and if you know your birds that is not a swan's beak it is a duck's beak because he didn't pay the stonemason and he was annoyed so he put the wrong beak on the swan so have a look right I'm Danny. I'm from the U.S., uh, specifically like the, the Midwest kind of area. It's been great. It's been great. All the food's been great. She's been very knowledgeable about the city. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You get to know the people here for the Fringe Festival. Been here a couple days. Um, yeah, and really been enjoying the city. Uh, could you tell me your name and where you're from? Guillem Balaguer, and I'm from Spain. Have you enjoyed the walking tour? I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, it's an opportunity to see part of... Well, this is not Edinburgh, isn't it? I cannot say that. It's, it's, it's life. But that I wouldn't have seen it. It's my ninth year in the French and I've never come to this area. Plus, I'm learning a lot about Scottish history and food. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Mimi's Bakehouse in Leith, and we're having a plain scone, an award-winning scone, and it comes with um, cottage cream and raspberry jam. Um, very good, uh, pretty massive, so I'm sharing it with Kelly, the podcast producer, uh, and it's lovely, it was warm, um, quite crumbly, but still quite soft inside, um, easy to cut, which is a good sign that's a good scone, it's not too crumbly. And yeah, very nice, uh, and a very nice end to a really good finishing walking tour.
and welcome everybody to the Thinking Drinkers Pub Quiz. Fancy another round. That's a very clever title because it's rounds and rounds of beer and quizzes, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's great to be here, isn't it, Ben? It certainly is. Now there's maybe some people in here who have seen us before. Thank you very much for coming back and seeing us again. When you came in, hopefully tonight, if you haven't been before, you picked up a bag. Has everyone got a bag? Yeah. Good. Now it's time to look in these bags. If you haven't already got your beer out, you can do that. But also, find your quiz sheet. These are discerning drinks. These are dapper drinks. These are drinks we want you to enjoy a sip and savour at a specific moment in the show when we tell you to do so. Yeah, this is very important. Tonight's show is a tasting. Mm -hmm. So we want you to wait till we talk you through all these delicious drinks so that you learn something about them. That includes the beer you've got in your hand. Save a bit for the tasting. We've also provided some water for you. Those big cans, that's water in cans because it's better for the planet. Lots of the water so you can rehydrate and after every tasting, have a sip of water to cleanse the palate. And rinse the glass. Yeah. Um, and we want you to follow our motto, our mantra, our message. Drink less, but drink better. better. Thank you. Very important. Original Budweiser, Budweiser Budvar, which is, comes from the Czech Republic, Republic uh, otherwise known as Czechia now. And it's been brewed in the same way, using the same ingredients in the same place, Česka Budjevica, since 1895. Yeah, now we're in the love and sex round and the Czech people love their beer. And in fact, this is still part owned by the state. So this really is beer of the people. Yes, so the more we drink of it here this evening, the better it is for Czech schools and libraries and hospitals, so <laughs> give it back. Yeah. <laughs> right, now this is called Black Cow Vodka, and it's lovely artisan, in, uh, English artisan vodka. And this is the smoothest vodka we've ever tasted. In fact, it puts the moo into smooth. Yeah, it's very good, Tom. Smooth. Now, it's made by a guy called Jason Farmer, and he's a Dorset farmer, and his family's been making cheddar cheese longer than any other people in the world. And what you've noticed that a lot of people say that vodka all tastes the same, tastes the same smells the same, but this one doesn't. It's got a lovely mineral note on the nose, a little bit of cream in there. If you give it a smell, you should get some vanilla as well, and a little bit of coconut, because they filter this cow's vodka right through some charcoal coconut husks. Right. Which that brings, brings us, us on to our game. Yeah. We do need uh, a volunteer for this game. We need a volunteer. Is anyone going to volunteer? No, I don't think so. Listeners, yes, it happened. I didn't volunteer, but I was pulled up on stage to help out. The less that's said about that, the better. Here's my chat with drinks experts Tom Sandham and Ben McFarland after the show. I'm here with Tom and Ben at the Underbelly. We've just been to the Thinking Drinkers pub quiz, which is not easy to say after five drinks. <laughs> ben, what can people expect from your show? Well, they can expect something fairly unique, to be perfectly honest. It's a it's a tasting with some comedy and a bit of cabaret thrown in, and it's uh, you learn a lot, you laugh a lot, and you get five drinks. So everyone in the audience gets five drinks during the show, and it's kind of like QI for booze though, for drink for discerning drinkers, because we're drinks experts, 
originally and uh, and we, we stumbled into this uh, into the world of comedy a few, uh, back in 2011 and we created a, a kind of a, lots of different shows but the latest one is is a pub quiz so all, uh, people have to answer questions uh, in, in, during the show uh, based on what we tell them and, and all about the drinks and the history and the cultural context around each drink so it is a very difficult show to describe you just have to come along and see it and Tom, you've been coming here for a while, so how has the show developed over the years? Um, well, as Ben said, we were, we were drinks experts to start off with. So we were journalists and Ben was beer writer of the year and I picked up an award for being spirits communicator of the year. So we really knew our stuff. But what we found out with our tasting experiences was um, they could be a bit dry. If you went to a tent, people were invariably just drinking the drinks because they were free. And we weren't thinking people were engaging enough. So we started telling jokes back in 2011 at festivals and thought, well, let's take that to the fringe. And someone booked us with the idea of uh, a tasting that is also a bit more of a comedy uh, experience and tells more of the stories around the drink. Because we find that if you just have a tasting where you just talk about what the drink is, people don't engage but if you tell them about the stories of the people and the past and the places around it a lot of that there's, there's comedy material there but also there's some fascinating facts and it just makes those drinks come to life and in 2011 we'd never even been on stage we hadn't done any stand-up uh, I mean I was very nearly physically sick every single day I was so nervous um, uh, Ben was a bit better ben, you'd been in your school play you'd I was there. a gingerbread man and uh, yeah. lead, lead role gingerbread man in uh, when I was six and smashed it yeah so he had experience but it was very nerve-wracking and we're in this freight container in the Pleasance but it sold out and we're like okay well at least that happened so we came back the next year and it grew and it grew and it grew and now we tour it all over the country we tour it around the world you know uh, the Germans have picked it up and started doing two German thinking drinkers um, um, so it's sort of really gone in lots of different directions and has sort of become the, the day job, really. Um. How do you come up with the jenks? Well, what we do is we write the show and because um, we work well, we work in the drinks world. We, we know lots of people who make lovely drinks and, um, and we've always worked with people and done samplings and tastings different places. But we want to do samplings in a, and, and tastings in a different way. And so what we go, we write the show and then we think, well, what drink would fit there? What drink would fit there? And then we go to people we know and go, listen, uh, we'd love to introduce, we like your drink, we'd love to introduce to the people at the Fringe. Um, and we've got, I mean, this year, we've, I mean, it's probably the best lineup of drinks we've ever had, to be honest. We've got Budweiser, Budweiser Budvar, the original Czech lager, I mean, it's a real, real deal. Uh, we've got lots of explorer Mezcal, and that's a real big thing at the moment. Mezcal's and agave spits in general becoming very, very fast and trend. And, you know, it's rippling over the pond from America. And that's just, we were absolutely delighted to have that. Uh, Diplomatica run we've had for about seven years and people love it. It's amazing how many people are converted to it because it's such an easy sipping, uh, discerning rum. It's just dark rum, it's absolutely lovely. And then we've got Black Cow Vodka. So we went and saw the guys at Black Cow Vodka and that vodka's made entirely from milk. And we're like, this is just gold in terms of a story and how they make it. Uh, and it's a proper vodka, and so it's lovely. So, and then we've got London Essence Grapefruit Soda. We, in the past, we've had five alcoholic drinks, but we did think, well, maybe drink less, drink better is our motto. Maybe we should introduce just a little bit of a bumper in there, a decent mixer, because most people want to know the best mixers as well. So we're trying to broaden people's booze horizons, really, and not being too pompous about it, and just introduce it to them, get the drinks in their hands, they like it they like it and, if it, and, uh, and it's amazing how many people come to the show and then go away and and, and they're converted so uh, it's, it's great and you've been coming here for a while so where do you like to eat and drink in Edinburgh 
Ah, yeah, that's a very good question. We, um, we're big fans of Bramble. So I used to be editor of a magazine called Class Magazine, which is a cocktail magazine. And um, uh, we did a thing called Best Bars of the World. And Bramble was, we decided, the best bar in the world uh, when I was doing that job. And it remains just a phenomenal cocktail bar. The bartender community from around the world really respects it. Um, we love the pub culture here. Um, what boozers have we been in? We, well, were, in the, we were in the, the, um, Oxford. the Oxford recently. We went, we went to the Oxford so we like on the night before we started and walked in. It was uh, you know, 20 minutes before closing time and we were the only people in there. Yeah, she still and, uh, served us. And it was just, it's yeah, just it's no nonsense by the Bruhemia, you know, they've got this, the fresh tank on pasteurised Budweiser there, so that's good. And, I mean, it's great, the golf tavern we quite like going yeah, to. Yeah, we like the pubs, we like the food. I mean, uh, El Cartel, yes. uh, we like the, the Mexican food there. Uh, um, one of the reasons we love coming back every year is because we get to spend the month up here and really just make ourselves fat. Right? <laughs> yeah. we Although we're lugging all this stuff about it. It's yeah, it's exactly. I like my core. So can you just tell us, finally, where, where you're on, how much tickets are and the dates? Oh, well, yes, we certainly can. We are on at the underbelly. It's Ermintrude uh, in the Medcord off just uh, by uh, Teviot Place. We're at 6.40 every day. It's an hour-long show, and we're here from until the 28th. Yeah. Whatever the, our last yeah. show is on the Sunday. Sunday. Not we, doing the 14th, but no. every other day. And I think there are going to be some extra shows because we've sold out yeah, a lot of Late-night shows, already, so, so it would be lovely to see everyone. Yeah. And remember, drink less. Drink better. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you for coming down, man. Really good. We'll go on there. Five stars for the thinking drinkers, despite my being dragged up on stage with two men dressed as cows. Next up was something completely different. As part of the International Festival, Jeff Bell brings his show Food to Edinburgh for the first time. I don't really know where to begin in explaining what Jeff does, so I'll leave it to him to explain. of a cashew small and you're just floating around in somebody else's body and everything you eat and everything you drink everything you need is just given to you through a little cocktail straw and you're just floating around and then think back even farther like really far, like all the way back. And there you are, floating, you nameless, formless thing, with all of the other nameless, formless things in a vast ocean, and everything you need is all around you. 
one day you decide to eat something and you grow a mouth. And then one day you decide to go looking for something to eat and you grow some eyes. Then you grow some, some fins and you make a move. And then you grow curious and you head on up to the surface of that ocean and you're looking around up there for something to eat. Okay, I'm joined by Jeff Sobel and we have just watched his show Food at the studio in Portoro in Edinburgh. Um, so Jeff, for anyone that doesn't know your work, can you tell us a bit about what it is you do? Sure. I'm a theatre artist. I think that's the easiest way to say it. And what that means is I'm an actor by trade, but I started making my own shows a long time ago, um, usually with a group of people. and. Um, as I started to do that more and more and studied a kind of physical theater, um, I also got very interested in design. Uh, so the sound design, the light design, and the set, and um, all of those uh, different elements, try to, I really try to bring those together so that the event or the storytelling, whatever you want to call the performance, is um, as much about those things as it is about, say, the subject matter or the or the words or something like that. I don't. I really don't think of these as plays. They're not really dramatic works. The thing I'm most interested in is human behavior and people. So I'm very content to just watch people sitting at a bus stop, for instance. I don't really need a whole story around a kitchen table about who's, you know, having an affair with who or something like that or how Henry V gave up England, I don't know, what you, you name your drama. So as uh, this interest in human nature and behavior kind of evolved, um, I started going into the audience a bit more and even thinking about some of these shows almost like, um, I don't know, almost like an installation or something that you might see in a, in a museum, like less and less about the theater, but they definitely still live in the theater. Um, I should also say I have a background in magic and that informs a lot of the stuff that I do, kind of about the detail and about a kind of reality versus a absurdity or surrealness or something. Okay, I've taken up your whole podcast. No, it's fine. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, you're, you're here as part of the International Festival, and as I've said, the show is called Food, which is obviously why we're interested in it. Can you tell us a bit about some of the themes you explore? Yeah. Well, I, you know, you know it might be more fun is to tell you about the themes that I was, like, excited about exploring, and then whether or not those necessarily come to fruition is anybody's guess. But certainly there's a, a thing about food with about ritual and about sitting around the table and breaking bread together. That's sort of the first and foremost thing of this thing we do as, with, as people where we build ritual around food, whether that's around a breakfast table or a fine dining. And in this um, instance, it is about fine dining because there's something about, to me, about the theater and even something like an international theater festival and fine dining that, to me, go hand in hand. There's a certain expectation of a certain kind of tablecloth, a certain kind of music, a certain kind of cutlery, and uh, a kind of pressure that goes with that, and a certain kind of demeanor, and what you wear, 
And I think that goes hand in hand. It's like about culture um, or high culture. So I'm also interested in the theme of a, a kind of quote unquote high culture, low culture. I'm really interested in like what's going on behind the kitchen door. And uh, that that's very interesting to me. It's, it's like a, I've worked in restaurants. Um, I've been around food and dining a lot in my life, or sporadically, I should say, throughout my life. But the, the class difference, what's happening racially, what's happening financially, what's happening between the clientele and what's happening behind the kitchen, it's just fascinating, that machine. There was, I'll just say, this doesn't happen in the show, so it's not a spoiler, but I still think it's a great idea. Uh, I had an early idea that would be that you would have a kind of, I should say to the people who are just hearing this, that you're around a dining room table and I'm kind of a waiter at, at moments. Um, but I had this idea about tableside guacamole, which in the US is this absurd thing that you might go to like a, even just like, I don't know, sort of Mexican restaurant that doesn't even, it's probably doesn't even exist so much in an authentic Mexican place, but you might order tableside guacamole. And then they come along and they make it for you tableside, which is really stupid because it's just avocado, lime, salt, and cilantro and garlic, maybe. So it's like just some simple ingredients and then they make it for you, they make a whole kind of to-do about it. I just think those are really absurd, but there's something about the like showing you the ingredients. So I, what I wanted to do is like, bring the avocado, bring the soil, but then you bring like all the soil that it might take to grow an avocado, all the water, all the manual labor, and like their families, and all the gas it took for all of them to come, and like the combine, and the whole thing, so that by the end it's like this entire place is just filled with all of the stuff that actually it takes to make your tableside guacamole. But I didn't have the budget, so <laughs> didn't do that. This reminds me of the time that I made a fake CD for a group of friends who came over. Um, I went to the grocery store and I looked through all the cans of crushed tomatoes. And I was told by many friends that I could only get one can, but of course I couldn't find that can. So I had to go and get a can that no one heard about, but I told them I got the can that they told me to get anyway. And I then brought it home and I one dumped it my into my it was Dutch soon oven. After we were and I put it, I simmered it, it was a and it took about and two chicken. hours. And the shake and baked chicken. I then added the bread crazy into it. it. So you've mentioned there, um, you've, you, there are about 30 people sat around a big dining table um, and obviously there's audience off to the side and at the back. How do you come up with the concept and how long does it take to create the staging and props? Uh, the, con the concept is like food. I, I think I've always wanted to do something about food and actually there's been always some, there's often an egg in my shows and there's often, there's something about an egg that is theatrically very interesting because it's this, you know exactly what it is when you see it. It's sort of a live ammunition. It's like having a gun on stage. It's like that thing is gonna break or, and if it doesn't, it's a little disappointing. Um, and when it breaks, it's a bit of a tragedy. Uh, it's also the poetic connotations of an egg are 
clear. I don't probably have to go through it with you. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's something about food on stage that's like endlessly interesting. Um, and so I, I don't know, I always wanted to. The last two pieces I've made have been about very banal, ordinary subjects. One was called The Object Lesson, and it's just about things. And the last one was called Home, and it's just about your domesticity, you know, about, well, really more about like house versus home and what is it that makes a house a home and ideas about that. And so I, I like these ideas, the, these shows where you kind of tease out something that is like very, very ordinary and you find something kind of extraordinary or you shine some new light or you figure out how to make this very familiar, very pedestrian thing kind of odd or strange. We like look into the strangeness of it. So with food, it was a kind of natural thing, but it, is, it comes with a lot of challenges. For one, we do work with food. We're not feeding all these people, but even working with any kind of real food on stage is, has its own demands, and that kind of goes to your props question. Um, and there are a lot of props in this show. Uh, I, a lot of them I cannot divulge because there's a lot of surprises, so I don't want to say too much about that. But um, like the show itself, the props um, evolve. They start with an idea and then they get very technical and they have to kind of go through a process of discovery and figuring out, playing around with it. And I'm still, you know, tweaking things all the time. And I probably always will. And there is a bit of audience participation. So can you tell us a bit about that, if you can? Again, I don't think of this really as like a play or a performance with audience participate. I just think more that we're all in the room. Um, so the, the thing about it with, in this show is the audience, it really is what they bring to the space, especially in a few moments. We had talked a little before the interview because you were wondering about smell. And there is a moment about smell. To me, that was one of the sort of almost tent poles of the show was how smell uh, elicits memory and also is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's of the senses, it's the sort of dirty sense. It's like the sense that we don't pay attention to. It's the one that we like put under the cup, you know, like we, there's not like museums for scent. I mean, there probably are actually, but you know, it's not the same as w looking at a painting or looking at a photograph or listening to music or, I don't know. So scent is something, and yet it's so necessary and we use it all the time. And, the research on scent is really exciting and interesting. So it's, it can be surprising. So we do use smell. And the only, what I found is like the only way that smelling something up close is in any way culturally appropriate is wine. Like it's the only time, maybe cheese, but it's like the, it's like the only time you see people, maybe flowers or something. Whiskey. But Yeah, whiskey, <laughs> but the, that kind of thing. But you don't see people like bending over and smelling their trout, you know, like that's weird. <laughs> And you laugh because it's weird, right? But anyway, so that's what we do in the show. So there's a lot of food mentioned. Raz is alluding to, at one point, um, there is a list of food that you hear. And that list is really fascinating because it is, it is from what we know anthropologically, this is the order in which these foods appeared 
in the human diet, as long as there have been homo sapiens. So it begins basically with like shellfish in a way, like oysters in a way, is one of the earliest things that we, that they know that we ate. But anyway, that list basically takes us, we don't say the dates, but uh, it is a fascinating, you can actually just easily Google that, and I recommend that you do, you foodie people that are listening to this. It's really kind of amazing to see like, oh my God, marshmallow came so long ago, you know, or all of the different varieties of foods that we eat are like different kinds of apples and tomatoes and things. So there's certain things that become very funny, like tear-free onions and seedless grapes that are, we think of as kind of natural, but they're, you know, biochemically engineered for your eating satisfaction. Um, and then of course we end with like impossible burgers and test to, you know, meet that kind of thing. Mm. I like a small bowl of cherry tomatoes. Small bowl of cherry tomatoes. Would you like to see the dinner menu? Steak, please. Steak. Would you like to see the dinner menu? Say just a salad for me. That... Just a salad? What kind of dress? Ranch. Ranch it is. Would you like to see the dinner menu? You've been to Edinburgh a few times. Could you please tell us your favorite places to eat and drink? Yeah. Uh, I mean, just hands down, bar none, the Moss Kitchen, that's the best place. We just do that. You, you just go to the Moss Kitchen. Don't even second guess it. That's just the best. So I love that place. I used to go to this place called Whistle Binkies that I loved. But this was like a long time. I haven't been there for some time. But I used to love that place because of the live music. I assume there's still incredible live music. There's some like jack of potato spots that are really cool. I think there's one called like the Spud or something like that. I cannot be here without doing that with like the veggie haggis. I just, I don't know, I'm, I'm into the cheap, easy street food kind of vibe. That's my mode. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. And to all you listeners out there, get home safe. Food is now sold out, however Jeff will be bringing the tour to other locations internationally so if you have a chance to see it, definitely check it out. Thanks for joining me on my Edinburgh Festivals Day Out. You can find lots more information about everything you've heard me talk about today online and at foodanddrinkscotsman.com. I'm pleased to let you know the National World has launched brand new Freeview channel 276 Shots. Shots is brought to you by a network of journalists across the country who are transforming stories at the heart of your community into great TV. You'll find true crime stories, football news and analysis, plus coverage of lifestyle, TV, film and much more. Thanks to my guests on this episode and thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe so you never miss an episode of Scran. And remember, don't sit in the front row of an audience unless you want to be dragged up on stage. Scran is hosted and co-produced by me, Rosan Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. <laughs>